Well, good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Coastal, and we're so glad that you joined us this morning. Right before we, we get started here, um, I want you guys to look in your worship guides. You're going to find some invite cards that are in there today, and they, they're probably, they might be a little offensive to you. Um, and so I want to explain those to you so you understand. You'll see in there there's some cards uh, with some, some, uh, some weights on there that say grow a pair. And uh, this, is a, this is a new series that we're going to be starting here on March 9th. And, and let me kind of explain this so you're not like, wow, really? Uh, yes, really. Uh, what, what's happening is, is that, you know, we want to talk about what it means to be a man or a woman of God. And, and what does that mean for your life? And this, this is what we know is that there are some things that you must have, some pairs of things that you must have in your life in order to really be that man or that woman of God. And so let me give you for an instance, if you have strength, but you don't have wisdom, like you're going to be screwed in life. And so like that's a pair of things that you probably need to have in unison. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some people in the Bible and some different pairs that they had. And what we're going to discover is if you do not have those pairs in your life, it's probably time that you grow a pair. And so we're going to encourage you to do that. It's going to be awesome. This is a great way to invite your friends and uh, maybe just leave these at the gym next to equipment or just look for the biggest dude and just walk up and be like, bro, you need this. And uh, like I promise they'll be like, what? And uh, it'll, it'll be great. So uh, anyways, we're, we're in this series called Anything But Ordinary. We're going to be talking about a guy named Daniel today. So if you want to turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 2, that's where we'll be hanging out. If you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide. If you don't have one of those, some, for some reason, you can look up at the screen. That's where we'll be hanging out. And before we do that, I just want to say that um, over the last 60 days. I'm so, so proud of our church, particularly because um, you're, you're a part of our church, but in the last 60 days, because of the generosity of people in Coconut Creek and the campus there and some of those people that came over here to help start this campus, we did a, a special offering called our Greatest Gift Offering at the end of the year, and through that, we were able to help come and fund starting this campus and make this campus available, and I believe that God is doing some incredible, incredible things here, and and it's just in, so impressive to me that what a small group of people that put their minds together and say, you know what, we're going to go after the things of God, and we're going to search after him with all of our heart, and we're going to be dealing, willing to do whatever it takes, what we are able to do. And so as a church, man, I'm just blown away at what's happening at just here, and not only that here, but at our Coconut Creek campus, and what's happening throughout the community. This week I was with some school uh, principals and some staff uh, right over here at Pompano Beach High. I was actually with one of the, the ladies that was up here singing. Her name is Kim. And we were talking to them about some opportunities that are in our future. And they were like, so t tell us how, why you're legit. Like, how, are, how do we know that who you are is who you really are? And so we started sharing about what we've been doing in Collier City. And the head custodian, like, walks in and goes, listen, guys, like, I know these people. These people have been serving in Collier City for years, they're faithful, man. They just gave away hundreds of pairs of shoes. Like, whatever they say to you, they are legit. And basically, we just gained all this favor in an instant because of the faithfulness of our church. And so, if I had one word to encourage you as our church, it would be this. Keep. Keep giving. Keep uh, investing. Keep serving. Keep going after God and believing that nothing is impossible for him and through him. Because when we keep doing that, man, we see God move in unbelievable ways in our midst. And so I just want to encourage us in that. And, and as we're continuing this series called Anything But Ordinary, we've been talking about this idea that the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within, 
within the lifetime of that opportunity, and you guys are doing that. So keep it up. Man, invite your friends, invite your family. Keep telling people about what's happening, and I promise that lives will be changed. Lives will be transformed. We're seeing it on a weekly basis. And this is what I know about all of your friends and all of your family and coworkers and yourself is that none of us came into this life and just said, hey, I just want to have a mediocre life. Like, I just want to have a boring life. I just want to have an average marriage where I just endure my spouse. I, I just want to have enough finances where I can barely pay my bills and then I can scrape together 15 cents for a bag of ramen to eat. Like, none of us, like, went through life desiring that kind of life. We all want so much more in life. We all want a life that is, is not normal, but it's, it's, it's just way different. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea that if we're going to have a life that is anything but ordinary, it's going to start and it's going to really build upon this idea of faith, of this extreme faith of trusting God in all situations. And for a lot of us, when we hear that, we go, oh, crap, because that's like we trust God for salvation, but trusting him in our circumstances to go above and beyond salvation, like that's the point where we go like, oh, I'm just not really sure. And that's for a lot of us where our faith ends. But over the last couple of weeks, we looked at guys like Joshua and Abraham and Moses. And last week we talked about Esther, about these people that lived with extreme faith, where they trusted God in extraordinary circumstances. And God showed up in a really big and powerful way. And today we're going to be looking at Daniel and the book of Daniel. And one of the things that I love about the book of Daniel is that it's all based around this idea that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what circumstances are being hurled your way, that God is in complete and total control. And some of you guys, you need to hear that today, that God is in complete and total control because your life is completely out of control. There is chaos going on all around you. You're wondering where God is in the midst of your situation. You're wondering where God is in the midst of your moment. And you're going like, man, I just feel like I'm at a loss right now. And what you need to understand and what you need to know, and I would encourage you to go and read through this book on your own and get some encouragement from it because it's constantly reminding us that, man, God is in control of our circumstances. And so let me kind of give you a backdrop of what's happening here. Basically, Daniel chapter 1, there's a kingdom named, uh, called the Babylonians. They're kind of the major players in the world right now. And they're going around and they're taking over areas. And they're led by a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. And the next on their uh, conquest people to go after is the Israelites. And the Israelites hear about this, and what they hear is that these people come in, they totally destroy everything, and on top of destroying everything, they look for the brightest and the best-looking 16-year-old dudes, and they take them and they bring them into the, like this brainwashing camp where they try to make them into the future leaders of their kingdom. Basically, they're, they're saying, hey, we want to go find all of like the 16-year-old Justin Biebers that are out there, not the 20-year-old version of Justin Bieber, like the one that's jacked up that we want to send back to Canada. But we want to find all the 16-year-old Biebers, like when he was hip and cool and sweet and innocent. Like we want to find them that have a lot going for them, that are good-looking, that, that have all that. And we're going to take them and we're going to bring them back. We're going to educate them in our ways. We're going to we're going to brainwash them in their ways so they think like we think, so they act like we think, so eventually they can be some of the major leaders of our community. And so they're doing this with people all over the world. And that's where we find Daniel is the fact that the Babylonians are coming in. They've taken over, and Daniel is being grabbed as one of these future leaders. And, and really, this story is a really, really sad story because here's a young boy who's basically losing everything. He's losing the family that he knows. He's losing uh, 
the place where he's always lived. And all of a sudden, he's being taken to a foreign land to be ruled by a foreign king who believes in a foreign god who wants nothing to do with the ways that Daniel grew up and how he learned and how he grew in his life. And, and, and that's where we're kind of picking up. And he's getting to this place where, man, he's just kind of helpless. And I don't know about you, if you've ever felt that way before, like you've been doing everything right in life, you've been going after the things the way that you thought that you were going to go after them, and you were going to experience this life like your household is good, your finances are good, your, your marriage is going great, and then all of a sudden in a moment, like the rug is pulled out from underneath of you. Like everything that was good is now gone, and you're just like in this helpless state. And that's exactly where Daniel is in this story, is that he's in this helpless state. And what I want to do is I want to look at three aspects of his life that I think are very, very important to us because this is what I know about all of us. We might not be in that state right now or we might not have experienced that state yet, but that doesn't mean that we won't. It's not a matter of if that's going to happen. It's a matter of when that's going to happen for your life. And so how do you respond in those moments? What are some things that we need to do in, in those moments to have a life that is anything but ordinary? And the first one is this, is that we have to surrender faithfully. Everybody say, surrender faithfully. Now say it with some attitude. Say, surrender faithfully. Now say it like you're angry. Surrender faithfully. Man, you guys are way better than Coconut Creek. I'm just telling you that right now. Like, they're like, surrender faithfully. I was like, man, y'all, y'all need some, some, you know, y'all need to grow a pair. Okay, that's what you guys need to do. And so, anyways, Daniel chapter 2, what's happening is Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream, and he wants it interpreted. And we find in Daniel chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me my dream, what my dream was, and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces, and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Like, I don't care who you are, that right there is a bad day. When you find this king that is in complete power trip and control trip, and he's like, hey, I want you to interpret a dream. You're like, man, that's cool. I can do that. Tell me what that is. And he's like, no. Like, I want you to tell me what I'm thinking and what I dreamed about, and then tell me what that means. Like, that is a bad day. And so he's grabbed all of the, the world leaders of that community, all the astrologers, all the smart people, and he said, like, listen, you need to interpret this or y'all are going to die. Y'all are, uh, not only are you going to die, but I'm going to kill your family and I'm going to destroy everything that's known about you. And so Daniel hears about this because he's one of the advisors to the king, and so he's one of the people that's put in this category. And so he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, listen, give me a couple days. Let me pray to my God and let's see what he says. And this is this is how God answers. And after God answers him, this is how Daniel responds in verse 2, verses 20 and 22. It says, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. So here we see this, this complete contrast of two different people. We see Daniel, who is, who is completely relying on God. And then we on the flip side of that, we see Nebuchadnezzar. And the interesting thing is that Nebuchadnezzar, in all, from all worldly perspective, from all perspective that we can look at, I mean, he is the guy who is in complete total control and has all the power. I mean, he's sitting on the throne 
of this major empire. He's holding the scepter that he can decide your life, whether it's going to live or whether it's going to die. He's in control of all the armies. He's the one who's had the dream. He's the one who wants to know what it means. I mean, he's sitting in the power seat. And in stark contrast to that, here you have Daniel who has nothing in his life but a prayer. I mean, you got somebody who has the, the, what seems to be all the power and all the control in life, and then you have this other guy who has absolutely nothing. One that needs God to show up in a big, 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 big way, and the other one that's like just looking for some answers. Now, which one of those ends up changing the course of history? Daniel does. And why does he do that? Because he realizes that he is not in control, that he doesn't have all the power, that he doesn't have it all going on. And so what he does is he surrenders his life to God and says, listen, I'm God and you're not, or you're God and I'm not, and like you need to take control of this situation. And see, what's possible is for a lot of us is, is a lot of us have experienced a lot of power and control in life. And, and we've been searching after power and control. I mean, we're after it in our, our relationships, in our marriages. We're constantly saying, how do I get more power over my spouse? How do I get more control so they do the things that I want them to do, so they respond the ways that I want them to respond? We, we're doing it in our jobs. We're constantly climbing the corporate ladder, hoping to we can just get another position. We can just get to that next rung. And what happens for a lot of us, is, is it's possible to be exactly like Nebuchadnezzar. We can seemingly have all the power and all the control that we want in our life, but yet be anxious, but yet be longing, be yet, and yet have this, this wrestling within us that, and be troubled in our life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because what you have in life, people look at you and go, man, that's a powerful person. Man, they're in complete control of their life, but yet there's something that's still troubling you there's something that's still messing with you in your life and that's because there's always an area of our lives that we can't control no matter how much we try we can't control it for Nebuchadnezzar was his dreams and because he could not control his dreams they drove him absolutely mad and my question to you is is what is the area of your life that you're trying to control that you can't control right now what is that area that that you're trying to be powerful in but yet you're powerless in and what you'll find throughout this entire book from Genesis to Exodus, the overarching theme of this book is that while it might not seem like in that instant that God is in control, while it might not act in the time frame that you want God to act, God is in complete and total control of every situation. He's just working on his timing. He's just working it out in his way. And it might not be our way. It might not be the way that we wanted to look. And so therefore, we're trying to control. We're trying to make that thing happen. And yet... We're wondering why it's not happening in our way. And I love what Dallas Willard, who's a, who's a theologian from California who died last year, this is what he said, such a great quote. He said, God has yet to bless anyone except for where they actually are. And I love this quote because so many of us are waiting for the perfect moment to trust God. We're waiting for the perfect opportunity for God to do something great in our lives. We're waiting for that moment where the Red Sea parts and we're just going to walk through. We're waiting for that perfect moment to, to praise and adore God. And what he's saying is, is the perfect moment, there is never going to be a perfect moment. The perfect moment is right now. It's that place where you're at right now where you're trying to grab hold of and where you need to let go of and trust him in that moment. And see, this act of surrender for Daniel was not easy. His life was at stake. His, his entire people were at stake that were still there. And yet he gets to this place where he says, man, I cannot do this. Man, I am just not able to do this. And I'm just going to give it all up to God.
And he surrenders right there in that moment. And God transforms everything right at that instant. And maybe for you, today is a day that you're going to have a moment of surrender that's going to transform everything in your life as well. Maybe today is the day that you surrender your life to Jesus. You surrender your problems to Jesus. You surrender your struggles to Jesus. And you say, Jesus, like, listen, this is my marriage, but I give it to you. God, God, this is, these are my finances, but I'm going to trust you with them. God, this is, this is my career. These are my hopes, and these are my dreams. Jesus, I'm going to hand these things over to you. And see, there's an amazing thing that happens when we hand over control and we surrender to Jesus is when Jesus' power empowers us to do the things that we need to do. And it's only in that moment of surrender that we fully embrace and feel God's power in our lives. And if you were to look at Jesus' life, Jesus did all kinds of incredible things. And you would think, man, that is the most powerful moment in Jesus' life. You think about the feeding of the 5,000. Like, anybody that feeds 5,000 people with some KFC uh, biscuits and some fish from Long John Silver's, like, like, that's pretty amazing. Like, that's a powerful moment, but I don't think that's his power, most powerful moment. Anybody that raises somebody from the dead, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Like, that's a powerful moment, but that wasn't his most powerful moment. I think about even him going to the cross and dying on the cross. I don't even think that was his most powerful moment. I don't even think him raising out of the grave was Jesus' most powerful moment. I think the most powerful moment in Jesus' life was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's, he's there and he's he's. He's fighting these internal ideas that, like, I want to stay in control of my life. Like, I don't want to die. And he, he makes this statement that I believe is the most powerful statement in the Bible. He says, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he surrenders all in that moment. And in his act of surrender, he got the power to endure the cross and rise again. But it only came through a moment of surrender. And Daniel experienced this unbelievable power. In this unbelievable moment of God's sovereignty in his life when he fully surrendered his life to it. Maybe today is the day that you need to surrender faithfully. The second thing is, is serve continually. you got to serve continually. Now skipping to Daniel chapter 6, what's happening in Daniel chapter 6 is Nebuchadnezzar has died and there's a new guy that's in control. His name is King Darius. And King Darius is, is a, a, a great guy. And what's happening is, is, is Daniel, because he's surrendered faithfully to God, God has just exalted him. Like he is rising in prominence. He's rising in power. He's rising in esteem all throughout Babylon. In fact, like he's getting ready to take over all of Babylon, like King Darius is about to put him in control of everything. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but as you rise in power, like haters start to come out. You know what I'm saying? Like as you start to escalate in life, like people will always want to come and pull you down at that moment. And that's what we find Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So basically, they're looking at his life, and he is a modern-day politician, and they're looking at his life, and this is what they say about his life. They say, they say, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man. 
Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Like, this is the God we need to run for our president, okay? Like, this is the God. Like, there is no corruption in him. There's nothing going on. And basically, they're looking at his life, and they're going, man, there's got to be something on this dude that we can get, that we can get our way, because we don't want him in control. Like, we're jealous. And so they're going through, and they're racking their brains. They're like, have you ever seen him jaywalk? No. Have you ever seen him speed in his chariot? No. Have you ever seen him lie to anybody? No. Like, there is, there ain't nothing going on. Like, what have we seen him do? We've seen him talk to his God. Like, his God is a big deal. Let's go after that. And so they come up with this idea that we're going to go to King Darius, and we're going to present this idea that for the next 30 days, like, nobody is to worship any God except for King Darius. And if they worship anything besides King Darius, they're going to get thrown into the lion's den. And so what happens in Daniel chapter 6, verses 10, it says this, Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown in the lion's den? Now this is the problem for Daniel because Darius loves Daniel. I mean, you already saw that he wanted to put him in charge of everything. But at the same point, as much as he loves Daniel, he knows that, like, he is given this decree. And if he doesn't follow through on this decree, then chaos is just going to come through the entire empire. And so he says, like, listen, Daniel, I'm going to have to throw you in the lion's den. And so he takes Daniel and he throws him in the lion's den. And then the next day he comes back and he's like, Daniel, you there? And Daniel's like, yep, I'm here. And like, it's, it's this huge celebration. And usually when we think about the story of Daniel, you know, going back to Sunday school in the flannel graph, you see the story of Daniel is always about Daniel and the lion's den. That's all that's ever talked about in Daniel's life. Like that is the epitome of his life, this story. But the reality is, is that isn't really what Daniel's life is all about. Because if you were to look through the book of Daniel, there's 153 references to Daniel leading up to Daniel in the lion's den. There is one verse about Daniel in the lion's den. And it's the verse where the king asks if Daniel is okay in the lion's den. And what it's basically saying is that, is that Daniel's life is not about the lion's den. Like the epitome of his life isn't about the lion's den. The epitome of Daniel's life is about the way that he lived his life, the fact that he lived so passionately and so madly in love with God that he was never going to forsake God that he ended up in the lion's den. Like that he was not going to give in to when people tried to look at his life for something wrong, they would find nothing wrong except for the fact that he loved God. Like that is the epitome of Daniel's life. And all throughout Daniel, you'll see this phrase that the Babylonians used over and over again to describe Daniel. They would say, the God whom you serve continually. The God who you serve continually. Not the God who you serve like when it's convenient. Not the God who you serve when you have some downtime. Not the God that you serve when you feel like it. But they said the God that you serve continually. And we talked about it the first week, it, it, the whole idea behind Joshua, obedience in the small things almost always precedes big moves of God. Obedience in the small things almost always precedes big moves of God. Now I say almost always because we, we can't put a formula together and go like, you do this, 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 and God's going to show up in a miraculous way. That, that's not how God works. We've, we've discovered that, but 
Everyone wants the Daniel in the lion's den experience. Everybody wants God to show up in this big, 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 big way. Everybody wants the experience where you pray to know the dream and then interpret the dream. Everybody wants that experience. But a lot of us will never get the chance to prove God's faithfulness in those moments because we're never faithful with God in the small things. Like we want God to show up in a big way in our finances, but yet we've never trusted him with our first 10%. We've never tithed. A lot of us want God to show up and have favor in our workplace, but yet we segregate God out of our workplace and we wonder why God never shows up and gives us that next step on the ladder. Like we want God to be, to be known on our campus, but yet nobody on our campus would ever even know that we follow God based on how we live our lives. We've got to be faithful in the small things. We've got to be faithful in those middle, little things, in the small steps. And my encouragement to you would be, don't be Daniel in the lion's den. Be Daniel who prayed continually. Be Daniel who served God faithfully every single day of his life. Be the Daniel who every day went and prayed three times a day, seeking after the heart of God. Be that Daniel, the one who served his God continually. And if we'll surrender faithfully and we'll serve continually, then hopefully we'll finally believe endlessly. We'll believe endlessly. Anybody out there really enjoy road trips? I, I, I'm a person. I love road trips. I, I grew up uh, when, when I was living in Texas. I was part of a ministry called T-Mania. And we would do these big youth events called Acquire the Fire events. And every weekend, I would drive to some city in America and go host a youth event with five to, to 60,000 youth showing up at it. And it was absolutely incredible. And so... Part of my job was I was a designated driver for road trips, and I love road trips. I love packing for road trips. I like getting the map out and figuring out how I'm going to get to someplace. Like, there's just something awesome about that. I love stopping at the first convenience store and getting, like, road trip food. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's special food for road trips, like Mountain Dew and Red Bull, like, together. Like, that's a great combination. You throw in some Skittles, and like, man, you just got a sugar high, and then you get some beef jerky and, and some sunflower seeds, and you're spitting those things all over the place. And, and I'm like, there's just something about road tripping that's awesome. Like, I love it. In fact, if I could road trip everywhere instead of flying places, like, I'd road trip every time if, if time would, would allow me to. But there's one thing I don't like about road trips. And it has to do with typically with people that I'm road tripping with, especially the ones that are sitting all the way in the back. Because they like to say certain things that kind of tick you off. Anybody know what that is? Are we there yet? Second to, I got to go to the bathroom. I, like, I don't care. Hold it. Okay. Um, you know, like I'm on mission. Like when I get to a restroom, I'll let you know you can urinate. Okay. Um, or you can just pee right there and it'll be warm. Okay. Whatever you want to do. But like, I, like, are we there yet? Listen, we are there when I park the car and I announce we are there, okay? Until then, sit down, shut up, and be quiet, okay? Like, that's all I want from you. But people, people are like, are we there yet? And they're not really asking a question. They're making a statement, aren't they? They're like, man, we are bored. Like, we've played every game that we know how to play. We've checked Facebook over and over and over again. Like, nobody's updated anything. I've Instagrammed every picture that I can think of. And, and like, I'm losing my mind back here. Like, is there something, is there something more? Like, is there, are, is there something else that we can do? Because I'm, I'm at this point where I've just gotten to here. Some of us, we feel that way in our relationship with God. We're like, God, are we there yet? I mean, seriously, God, I, I, like, I don't know what else I can do. I, I've, I've tried everything that, 
I can't. Like, my life isn't what I want it to be, but I don't know what else to do. So, so God, are we there yet? Like, what's next? I've been reading my Bible every day. I've, I've been going to that connect group like they told me at church. I've been attending. I've been serving. I've been doing everything that I possibly can. I've exhausted all of my options at this point. Like, are we there yet? Like, what is next? And, and we're just like a kid stuck in the backseat of the car, and we're frustrated, and we're like, God, what's up right now? And we want to know, are we there yet? And I love Daniel because he just believes endlessly. See, because we tend to look at Daniel's life and we tend to focus on the miraculous. We tend to focus on him praying for the mouths of the lions to be shut. We tend to focus on him praying to know the dream and the dream to be interpreted. But what we fail to realize is that, like, those are some awesome prayers that Daniel prayed that were answered. But what about all the prayers that went unanswered? Don't you think when Daniel heard that the Babylonians were taking over all these different places that he didn't pray to God that, God, please don't let the Babylonians come here and take over Israel. But yet they came over and took over. And then when they took over, as they were going door to door, knocking on doors, and they were looking for 16-year-old Justin Bieber types, and he looks in the mirror and he realizes, like, I'm Bieber. Like, I'm in trouble. Like, don't you think he started praying? Like, God, please help them not to recognize that I'm good-looking and smart. Like, help them think I'm dumb or something. Like, give them something else to see. But yet they didn't see something else. And then they, he takes them, and he's in this foreign land, and, and he hears this decree from Darius, and he's like, oh my gosh, don't you think he started praying, like, God, please don't let Darius make that decree public. Like, I've heard that that's in legislature, but let's not make that happen. But yeah, that decree happened. And when that decree happened, he goes, man, I'm going to go pray in my house. And, and as he's praying in his house, in the same place that he prays every time, I guarantee he was praying, God, please don't let anybody see me praying. But yet they saw him. And when they saw him, don't you think his prayer probably became, God, please don't let them tell anybody that they just saw me, but yet they told somebody. And then all of a sudden he's being taken to be thrown in the lion's den, and he's probably thinking to God, like, God, I don't really have the best track record here of answered prayer. Like, there's a lot of prayers that I've prayed that haven't been answered, but, like, maybe just this one time you can show up in a powerful way and don't throw me in the lion's den, and they throw him in the lion's den. And then his prayer becomes, God, please don't let them eat me. And all of a sudden... God shows up and that prayer gets answered. And you're like, what's up with that? Like, that is the million-dollar question. Like, God, why did you not answer all these other prayers? And yet, in this moment, you show up and you answer this prayer. And I think God is like, man, you, you know, I, I just want you to know that you can't control or predict me. But in the midst of controlling and predicting, I think that what you'll discover as you seek a life that is anything but ordinary is that it really isn't about you and your prayers. It's really about God and his glory. So many of those prayers are about our lives, and, and it would have been cool for God to answer some of those prayers, but God wouldn't have gotten the glory in those prayers. God got the glory when the mouths of the lions were shut. Because here's what happened with King Darius. This is what he put out a new decree in verse 26 and 27. It says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens 
and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Don't you think that while Darius is issuing that decree, that Daniel's like, man, that's the God that I serve. My God is bigger than any circumstances. My God is greater than the, the time continuum that we operate on. Like he is the creator of life. He is the author of humanity. And he has got everything in his hands. My God is able to do whatever he wants. And I think the thing that I'm hoping for the most that is taking place in our lives throughout this series and throughout these stories is that we need to remember that what seems so difficult to you and I, what seems so overwhelming, what seems so overpowering, is easy to our God. It's just easy for God. And what it means for us is that we have options. We don't have to cower in defeat. We don't have to give up in the midst of uncertainty. But we can trust and we can believe endlessly that our God is able. That our God is in complete and total control. That our God can forgive the deepest and darkest sins. That our God can overcome the darkest of souls. That our God is able to do no matter what we can think or what we can imagine. What seems impossible to us is virtually easy to Him. And God can open doors that have been closed. God can shut doors that have been opened. God can do whatever He wants. And in your situation and in your life and in your circumstances, He is able if we will just trust Him. And believe him endlessly. He can do anything. Now, sometimes he doesn't do it how we want him to do it. Sometimes he doesn't do it in the time frame that we desire. But the question is, is will you believe him endlessly? Will you trust him that he is able? And that he will. Even though you might feel like a kid in the backseat on a road trip and the road is bumpy and you can't see around the next curve. Will you trust him anyway? Will you believe him endlessly? Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you. And I know that in life it's It's easy to get overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. It's easy to get overwhelmed with trying to gain control and trying to be empowered and miss out on our opportunity to surrender to you. And it seems such an odd thing that in order to gain power, that we need, which is Jesus' power, we have to surrender control of our lives. Like that is just a foreign concept to our natural thinking, but your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we can't think the way that we think and we can't try to believe the way that we believe. We got to trust in you. And maybe there's some of you out there that you've been trusting in your ways. You've been trusting in your thoughts. And today is the day that you need to surrender to Jesus. You need to lay some things down at his feet. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe for some of you, it's your life. And as you lay those things down, you're going to feel the power of God start to move and transform your life. Then there's others of you that 
Like you've trusted you're able, but you haven't trusted God's able. You've trusted him with your life, but you haven't, in, in the fact of eternity, but you haven't trusted him on a daily basis. And maybe today is the day that you need to surrender that. And so, God, I just come before you. No matter where we are on that continuum, that today is a day of surrender. Today is a day where we need to lay some things down at your feet. And, Lord, we lay them down, and we put them down at your feet, and we take a step back and say, God, it's all yours. Not by will, but your will be done. God, I'm going to surrender my life completely to you. I'm going to serve you continually. And God, I will endlessly believe that you are more than enough for my situation. I love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.